Hey guys, so today I wanted to talk a little bit about church. Is it still worth going? Why is it waning in our society? And uh, is it something you should reconsider? First I wanted to um, take a look at the role that church has played for our society and, and how that relates to the role it might play in the future. I read something recently which was talking about how when Luther translated the Bible into German, that one of the things that came from that was that he basically created a unified German language. That before that there were several different like dialects and it was more uh, of a segmented uh, group of people of, of different states and different dialects. And don't hold me to these details because I'm no historian. But something about when he translated the Bible into German that it unified a use of the German language. It sort of gave a canon to this is what the German language is, and, and even this is what the German people are. And so it brought a lot of different fragments together. And I would say roughly the opposite of that is what is happening today. Something that Paul Vanderclay pointed out was that we now have a multiplicity of platforms, meaning we have YouTube, Facebook, podcasts, we have a million different ways that we consume information. And so where the church once was a centralized hub of information, where it was a coming together of a lot of different elements, that those different elements are all segmented now in modern life into different ways of taking in things, that we have a million different ways um, to take in information. And as that pertains to the role of the church in the future and the present, I would say that the sermon has never been less important. And that's not to say that words aren't important or that the sermon isn't important. But in a previous time, let's say before the printing press, I would say that the things that a pastor said would be of utmost importance because they would be such a huge part of your ability to take in information. But in a world like today where information and all information and all uh, every highest level genius and theologian and everything else is at your fingertips, the role of a pastor's sermon is less important by contrast. And so if you're not going to church because you don't like what the pastor is saying, um, then I would say that you're, you know, that you're kind of thinking about it wrong and that if what the pastor is saying is you know is is enough uh, thought fuel for your week than you are remarkably uh, incurious, and so to not over prioritize what the pastor is saying, and to not under prioritize um, how you might add to the conversation. Um, I've always uh, been in church my my whole life, and when I would start to uh, leave for a time, I I knew that there was something there, there was something that would be left. Uh, out of my life if I left that was too valuable to lose. Even when I felt like what was being said was way off, I knew that there was still something there. So as we enter a time uh, where people, um, where technology is greatly advancing and people are becoming hugely alone, because see, marriage is on the decline and smartphone use and, and the use of technology is sharply on the incline. So if you put those things together, what you get is a remarkably lonely people. And, uh, you know, in many ways, I think we might be more alone today than, than any time in history, that, that people today are more lonely than at any previous time. 
And so this is a huge gateway for the church, but the church is going to have to learn what the needs of the people are to change in regards to that. I want to mention one other thing. There's been this common trope within um, Protestant culture throughout, I guess probably from the the 90s, um, of, oh, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And this is something you hear all the time. Oh, yeah, it's not a religion, bro. It's a relationship, bro. And <laughs> the sentiment is basically saying, yeah, you know those Catholics that covered up child abuse or whatever? I am a Christian, but I'm not one of those people. And and I understand the the desire to delineate from Yes, I am one of those religious people, but I am not one of those religious people. And again, wherever power is, corruption follows. And so it makes sense that people would want to uh, sort of distinguish themselves as different from from those people. But the statement, it's not a religion, it's a relationship, is a really stupid thing to say. It's dumb for a few reasons. So the first reason it's dumb is because it misunderstands what a relationship is, what it even looks like. I remember sitting in a small church, which I will not name, and the pastor the whole time was bashing other churches for being religious. And uh, and so for about half an hour or 45 minutes, he talked about how he wasn't religious and how their church wasn't religious and how um, they were clearly um, you know, superior to those other churches because they weren't religious. And then at the end he goes, All right, we'll see you guys next week, same time. And uh, yeah, we'll see you all here same time next week. <laughs> and that is exactly uh, what I'm trying to get at here, that a relationship is partially ritual. Every common relationship, whether you have a close friendship or a marriage, Every relationship is partially ritual. If your relationship is only in your head, if it is only internal, then it's not really a relationship. You know, a marriage where it only exists in your head is more like a, an imaginary friend than it is like a truly thriving marriage. And the same is true with a walk of faith. That a true walk of faith is going to have real-world implications. It is going to have things that are visible to the outside world, such as certain rituals. You know, any thriving relationship will have physical uh, indicators, will have physical tells, and a religious life is no different. The other problem with this cliche that, oh, it's not a religion, it's a relationship, is that it over-personalizes everything. It takes morality, it takes the sort of shared experience and shared consensus of what is right and wrong that you get from a group of people. And it makes everything overly individualized that, oh, I decide everything, that everything is up to me. It over-prioritizes the self. So it's only logical that the next step from saying, all of my religion is decided by me, that the communal aspects are of no use and that the only things of use are the things I decide. It is only logical that the next step from that would be, why do I even go to church? If I'm the one deciding everything, if I'm the only player in this game, why am I even going? I can decide all of my own morality at my house. The natural successor of this self-centered religion is no religion. So why is it still worth it? And what should you look for in a church? One of the reasons that church is still worth it is that 
part of how we keep our sanity is in groups. I learned this from um, Jordan Peterson's recent book. He was talking about how social environments sort of allow us to process a lot of information without quite even knowing that we're doing it. That when you're in a group of people, you kind of get a feel for where the boundaries are and what leads to what. If you're in a group of 20 people, then you can look at someone and go, okay, so they probably live kind of like this, and that's why their life is sort of like that. And this person over here is sort of on the other spectrum. They live a more chaotic life, and so that's why they drive this car, and that's why they're a little bit more like this. That a communal setting is part of how we gain our sanity. That part of our sanity is lived by being in a group of people, and that groups of people are how we gauge where the boundaries are. It's how we can sort of see an experiment of different ways of living without having to live each one. Okay, one more thing on what I think churches should do as we move forward. As we move forward into a time of drastically increasing loneliness, that churches need to prioritize the communal aspects. Churches need to prioritize the ways in which they solve the loneliness problem because that is where the church of the future will thrive. In a time when all information is at your fingertips, the information you will give to the people in the room is not as important. But in a time when people are sharply increasing in loneliness, that the things that a church can do to solve the loneliness problem are going to be the lifeblood of the church, are going to be the thing that makes it thrive, and churches that solve the loneliness issue will thrive. It would be cool to me one day if, you know, churches even did things where they would help you find sort of groups of friends that you could bond with over things that you're interested in, you know, like you could write down, oh, I'm into movies or whatever, and then they would sort of, they would put that like data together and sort of put you with other people that, that are into that, and, and you would go do that together, that maybe that's wishful thinking, but I think that more of that um, may happen in the future, that the churches that will thrive in the future will be ones that solve the loneliness issue. One way to think about religion is religion is a way to understand everything, that it is kind of just a way to understand reality, and something that at least the church uh, of my growing up would lean very heavily into would be all of these ways to fight against reality. That I grew up in a church environment that was sort of anti-intellectual, um, and that really was just kind of lazy. And it was it had good intentions, and those people had good intentions, and those people um, are not some scum that I am here to scoff at, because I'm sure that if I were the leader of a church, it would have certain very uh, noticeable issues. Um, so it's very easy when we talk about church to uh, imagine sort of a utopian church in our head and then take shots because it isn't that way. Um, and that if we were really being honest, if you made a church in your image and it did all the things you wish it would do and didn't do all the things you wish it didn't do, that there would be some real heavy cost paid, that there would be some real heavy downsides that you are not thinking about, that I am not thinking about. So we need to be pragmatic in, in our appreciation for what has been. But all that said, there has been a real uh, heavy strain of uh, sort of um, childlikeness when it comes to the way that we approach faith. There's been a sort of hesitancy 
of intellect. And the reason for that really is laziness. So, for example, the hesitancy of the church to interact with science is because we look over there and say, I don't really like those people. A lot of those scientists um, seem to kind of hate God. And so it's just a lot easier if I just go, well, I'm not like you. You're over there. I'm over here. And so, um, yeah. And so that is just how it is. And so we find people on the other side that we don't like, and then we sort of disregard um, anything they might have said that may have been useful or even vital to our future because we make it personal. That And we do this with church. This is now what we're doing with church. Instead of thinking about even just the psychological benefits of that we might gain from being in a, a church body, from being in a group of people, we instead are personalizing it as well and going, well, I don't like those people. And so I'm not going over there, and I'm not going to keep looking for a church, and I'm not going to live uh, with the beauties that that kind of life has because I don't like. I know some people over there, and I don't like them, and so that is the end all and be all. Rather than what should this be based on, what is it truly based on, and um, and what role could I play to get it back to the things that make it most healthy? What could I do to steer it from the inside? Um, both because it would benefit my life, it would benefit me psychologically, and also because um, it is of vital importance to our nation and, and our world and our cohesion. We should conceptualize church more as a place to call home than a place to learn very intricate things. That if you want to learn really intricate theology, there's seminaries for that. If you want to learn intricate psychology, there are university classes for that, or even YouTube lectures for that. But that church is more a place to call home. That much like your practical life, if you work all day every day, but you have no place to call home, you don't know what you're working for. We all know people that spend too much of their life at work, and they forget why they're working. And that is what it looks like when people spend all their time trying to learn every fact of the universe, but never really unifying it, but never really having any place to call home. This is really where Jordan Peterson is, that he is pushed farther uh, mentally and through thought than almost anyone I've seen, and, and he has a great amount of valuable things to teach us because of that. But he doesn't really have the peace that he could have, because he never goes home. That if you want to think of it this way, Jordan Peterson is the archetype of a intellectual workaholic that doesn't fully know why he's working anymore. That as I saw him uh, sort of have some, some harder times mentally here recently, that it exposes where he's at. That he's one of these people that works really, really hard and dedicates his life to, uh, to these pursuits, to these... Uh, pursuits of understanding God and science and life and death, and I appreciate him for that, and that's very valuable. But that if you don't have somewhere to call home, if you don't have a spiritual home, something to rest all of that effort in, then you will eventually not know why you're doing it. You will lose the why. And likewise, we have all been in church and known some very unintelligent people who will tell you everything they think about the universe, they will openly give their opinion about all of the most complex things in our entire world, 
but they never will crack a book. We all know pastors that don't crack books. We all know pastors that do not read, that do not really think, that have a very childlike way of thinking, that have a very adolescent self-absorption, that they are too arrogant to read anyone else's thoughts. They are too fragile and stupid to be able to handle any new information. But they will happily tell you the way that every single very complicated thing in the universe works. And that is the conception of someone that never leaves home. That think of it this way. The workaholic is someone who spends so much time at work that they don't have a home. And the unintelligent church person who wants to give you their opinion on everything that they don't understand is conceptually the person who never leaves home. Is the person who doesn't go out and explore anything. Who doesn't go out and actually try the logic of the things they believe in the world. Who never pushes. Who never explores. Who never does anything. They just sit at home. That is the person in the church that doesn't know anything and says that they know everything. And that these are both ways to go too far. That the ideal life is where we go out during your week. You go out and explore and you go out and try to make things in the world which are wrong, which are chaotic, which are out of place. And you try to put them into their right order. You try to bring peace to them. You try to bring... God. You try to bring goodness to these very volatile situations at your job, with your marriage, with your friends. That Conceptually, you are out doing the work. But then church is not the place where you do your exploration. And if it is, you are not curious. If all of your needs for exploration are met in church in what the pastor says, then you are remarkably incurious. But that if you do all of that work and if you spend all of your time out on the edge thinking of all the different things you could do with your life and thinking of all the different aspects of the universe, but you got nowhere to call home, then it is only a matter of time before you forget why you would do any of it, before you do not understand why any of it is worth anything. That church is a place to call home. And so if the pastor loves you, if the people love you, then it does not matter all that much what he says. And that we would hope that he would not say things which are against God, that are against Christianity, which has happened many times and will continue to happen, I'm sure, and probably would continue to happen if I was the pastor. So let's let them off the hook and just say that church is a place to call home and that you need a home. But you don't need to just sit at home that you also need something to do with your life, with your time, with your gifts, that you need to be an agent in the world, and that you should not be purely a house cat, that you should be exploring, that you should be taking the real world as it is and bringing goodness to it. And you have a bigger role to play in that than perhaps many church people think they do. And the pastor's role is a little bit different than perhaps he thinks it is. All the other things that we need from church and that the church needs to thrive as we move forward into the future could all be boiled down into honesty and humility. One thing I love about Celebrate Recovery and why I talk about it all the time is before someone talks to you, they get up and tell you all the worst things they've ever done. So they go, 
Hi, my name is Greg, and here's all the worst things I've ever done. Okay, now that that's out of the way, let's talk. And because they start with that, everything they say after that is very easy to stomach. It is very easy to take in what they have to say. Because they have already dispelled the idea that they are somehow the ideal. They're not pretending to be like the good ideas they're about to tell you. They go ahead and get that out of the way. So that when they tell you what the ideal is, what the ideal should be, that there's no arrogance in it. They've already dispelled with any option of arrogance. They've taken that option of that abuse out of the way. By starting with, Hi, my name is Zach, and here's all the worst things that I struggle with. If we waited for pastors to be perfect before going to church, then we'd never go to church, and we certainly couldn't even be those people. Neither them nor us will ever be those people, and we can't wait for that. So what should we do? All you need your pastor to be is two things, loving and humble. And since we can't wait for him to say all the perfect things and shouldn't wait, how do you know? What do we look for? One way to tell if you're sitting under someone who is on the right track is do they quote other people? Every time I listen to someone, I listen to see if they reference other thinkers, other people. And that is how I myself keep myself from going too far off the rails. That if I think I might be going off the rails, then I reference someone else who I think is really sharp. And I go, okay, I might be stupid, but this person is not stupid. And so if I'm even in the general area of what they're talking about, then I must not be that far off. And even if I am that far off, if someone listening to me went and read that person, that person would get them back on track. So if your pastor references other people, that probably means that he's reading something, and that means that he is open enough and humble enough to take in other things. That if you have any curiosity at all, church is not a place that has to feed every interest of your mind, but that church is a place to call home. It is a people to call home.